Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, this is Coach Freddie, and I'm here with Les Stark. He's the author of Hempstone Heritage. And we're going to be talking about the history of hemp in Pennsylvania. So, Les, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? Uh, just fine, thank you. Uh, Les, can you give us a little background on yourself and then uh, the history of hemp in Pennsylvania, okay? Well, I'm a longtime hemp activist, and it started back in the early 90s. I started a lot about hemp uh, in 1991. Uh, I'm from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and uh, from a town called Ephrata, and just about 15 miles away from my hometown is the townships of East and West Hempfield Township. I was a wrestler in high school, and we used to wrestle Hempfield Township all the time. Some of my most memorable matches were in Hempfield High School, but I had never once stopped to consider what is a Hempfield. Nobody knew about it. We didn't learn about it in school. I was never taught about it. So suddenly, I started becoming aware of all this hemp. And in particular, there was a book called Wears No Clothes, written by was the father of the modern-day hemp movement. And in his book, Jack detailed the fascinating history from its roots in ancient India and Central Asia and to it spread throughout Europe and Asia and all throughout the world into America. And it was a fascinating book. But in the Jack said that wherever there were towns that were named after, uh, uh, wherever there were towns that were major uh, hemp-growing regions, there were towns named after hemp. And he mentioned Hempfield Township in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So I was fascinated because, wanted to see if it was true, because here was a story that seemed to blow the lid off of history as we knew it, and I wondered, uh, if this is true, then how come I've never heard about it? How come I never heard the word hemp? So I I was going to find that there was to know and, and read everything that had ever been written about the local hemp industry, and... Uh, because, like I said, this is something that seemed to blow off of history as we knew it. And uh, so the Lancaster County Historical Society, I started my research about 20 years ago from this month in March of 1997. And I went to the Historical Society. I found out that almost nothing had ever been written about the Pennsylvania hemp industry specifically. So I started finding a fact here and a fact there. And uh, it led to this 20-year journey of discovering the deep historical relationship that Pennsylvania has with the hemp industry. It turned hemp was grown in Pennsylvania before Pennsylvania even existed. There was a Swedish colony 
the Delaware River that grew hemp all the way back to the 1650s. And William Penn founded Pennsylvania in 1681, he specifically intended for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to grow hemp. And in 1683, one of the very first laws that were passed by the Pennsylvania General Assembly was called an Act for the Encouragement of Raising Hemp. And uh, in 1685, William Penn made probably one of the first agricultural uh, censuses of uh, the population has existed, and just four years into this great experiment, he observed that there were great quantities of hemp already being raised, and he proposed that hemp would be among the four staples of trade. So by the 1690s, the hemp industry was already growing strong with, uh, you know, hemp hecklers and rope makers and weavers and hemp grown in every early settlement in Pennsylvania. What was particularly fascinating to me, because I'm from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, so I concentrated a lot of my efforts into the county where I was born and raised. One, because it was easier to do the research, and I was fascinated by the place where I live. And two, because Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, was where the industry seemed to be the strongest. It seems to be one of the most major hemp-growing regions in early colonial America. In 1710 is when the first settlers got to Lancaster County, and the first known documented hemp mill that we know of in Lancaster County was erected at the mouth of the the Chickies Creek, where it goes into the Susquehanna River right above the town of Columbia. It was erected by a man named John Gardner in the year 1720, And that hemp mill ran for over 100 years. Of course, that's the region that came came Hempfield Township, which is now divided up into East and West Hempfield Township. But John Gardner's hemp mill in 1720 was the first documented hemp mill that we know about in Lancaster County and that we can prove, but it wasn't the last. Between the years of 1720 and 1870, there were over 100 water-powered mills for processing hemp fiber just in Lancaster County alone, and there were dozens more in all the surrounding counties. It turns out that the whole region was awash in hemp. Pretty much the growing of hemp in Pennsylvania from 1681 and its founding until about 1840 turns out to be just about universal. Every single farmer that owned a plow planted hemp because all, you know, in the Northeast especially, there was almost no cotton used. We made our homespun clothing from three fibers principally. They were hemp, flax, and wool. And every single farmer grew a patch of hemp, they grew a patch of flax, and they raised some sheep for wool for reasons of self-sufficiency. But other farmers grew it for on a bigger, more commercial scale. And there were certain places, although the cultivation of hemp was universal, Amongst all parts of Pennsylvania, there were certain parts where the commercial industry thrived. And Lancaster County and York County, where I've documented about three dozen hemp mills, seems to be the epicenter of this major hemp-growing region. Uh, but, you know, it was pretty much uh, universal. We used the hemp for everything from uh, Conestoga wagon covers, which you imagine there was a vast fleet of Conestoga wagons, and all of those were covered with hemp canvas, and they were made in Conestoga, 
in Lancaster County, which is just a little bit below the townships of Hemfield. It was used to make rugs. Millions of rugs were made in Pennsylvania factories from hemp. It was used for grain bags, for millions of bushels of wheat. It went down, a lot of our hemp went to the rope uh, manufacturers and sailcloth manufacturers in the Philadelphia shipping uh, building industry, which, you know, there was a very large shipbuilding industry in Philadelphia, and every ship that sailed the seas took up between 60 to 100 tons of hemp fiber for all the big, thick anchor cables, all the rope rigging, the canvas sails. All of that was made out of hemp, and all of that had to be replaced every couple of years, which ensured an enormous and insatiable demand for hemp from the interior of Pennsylvania. And uh, it was used as the number one fiber for homespun clothing. It made everything from you know, uh, pants and shirts and belt buckles and hats and shoes and shoelaces, dresses. It made uh, everything from coarse cloth to fine linen and everything in between. It was used for towels and sheets and pillowcases and, uh, you know, just about everything like that. So there's so much. And in addition, we found out that there was almost as many mills for processing oil from the seed because there was many tens of tons of excess hemp seed, and a lot of hemp was grown specifically for seed. And this, these mills, oil mills, expressed the oil from the seed, and that oil was used in paints and varnishes and lacquers and printer's ink and uh, lamp oil. And then the remaining seed cake that was left over was fed to the livestock. So we have this huge hemp fiber and seed and oil industry that was going strong in Pennsylvania. And then the clothing that our ancestors wore, there was paper mills all over Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania had the first paper mill in North America in Philadelphia. The seventh paper mill was in the town that I was born, the Effort of Cloisters, and they printed the famous 1,000-page book called The Martyr's Mirror on hemp paper, and all that, the clothing that our ancestors wore was recycled in these paper mills into paper that were used to record all of our documents. Uh, you know, the, the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, the first draft of the Constitution, and uh, our ancestors wrote their wills on this paper, and, and they used the ink that they used to write these documents was made with hemp seed oil. So we found out that the history of hemp goes incredibly deep in Pennsylvania. Uh, by the 1840s, you started to have, you know, actually by the 1820s, you could sense that there was a slight decline in, uh, the, you know, uh, the hemp industry in Pennsylvania because of the introduction of cotton. And uh, by the 1840s, there was a lot of, you know, the age of homespun uh, was was sort of evaporating. So it wasn't as universal by the 1840s, but the industry hung in there through the 1850s, and then when the southern supply of cotton was cut off during the Civil War, we had a tremendous increase in hemp production during the 1860s, and, uh, you know, it hung in there for many decades. By the late 1900s, though, the the uh, flood of imported fibers like jute and sisal and manila hemp, uh, plus, um, you know, the, the industry had shifted more to the Midwest, like Kentucky, so 
It wasn't a strong commercial crop in the 19, in, in the late 1800s, but it still hung in there and people were growing it all over the place. They grew it in the rows between their potatoes to protect them from insects. They grew it for seed to feed their chickens and so forth. But there wasn't a big strong commercial industry going. But in the early 1900s, there was a revival of the hemp industry in Pennsylvania, especially in the Hanover area, in York County, and throughout that region up into Cumberland County. Hundreds of farmers revived the, the commercial hemp industry, primarily for the Hanover Cordage Factory in the town of Hanover. By the 1930s, it came when they banned marijuana in 1933 in Pennsylvania, signed into law by Governor Gifford Pinchot, that uh, made hemp, uh, hemp uh, cultivation a lot harder to do because they couldn't distinguish between hemp strains and what they called the marijuana strains. So in the late 1930s, we know that it was still being grown because some of these people that were being arrested were old farmers. And one of the first people that we found to be arrested under the new state marijuana laws in Lancaster County in 1938, July 5th, a guy named Enos Schaefer became one of the first victims of these laws. He was an 81-year-old hemp farmer who admitted that he was growing the crop, but he said that he had no idea whatsoever that it was illegal. As far as Enos was concerned, he was growing hemp, and he was growing it for seeds for his chickens to eat. And at his trial, he testified that he had grown this crop his whole entire life, and his father had grown it, and they always used it for seeds for their chickens to eat. So by the 1930s, the marijuana laws pretty much put an end to uh, the hemp industry in Pennsylvania, but it covered up a history that went so deep. And by the 1980s, when I went to, to high school, pretty much all this cultural memory had uh, been erased from the collective consciousness of uh, the people of Pennsylvania. And with the goal of my research was to reintroduce this and to inject it into the cultural uh, conscious and awareness so that everybody in Pennsylvania learns about this history, becomes aware of it, and then supports the change that we're trying to bring in. And it really helped a lot. And knowing this hemp history is what led us into the place where we are today, where we're getting ready to put seeds in the ground, and finally, after 80-some years, reintroduce hemp to Pennsylvania and put the hemp back in hemp field. Well, that's a fascinating story, Les. And uh, these are things that I didn't know about because I grew up in western Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm anxious to get a hold of your book and uh, learn some more about that. But let's uh, talk about the new hemp bill uh, that was passed in Pennsylvania to make it legal to grow hemp. And uh, what the Department of Agriculture, how they structure their licensing and permits. Tell us about that. Well, let's uh, first of all, I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, the struggle that we had to get the bill introduced in the first place. You know, for about 20 years, I've been trying to teach the public, teach our elected officials, the media, uh, farm organizations, all about hemp. But uh, we couldn't break through. We couldn't get any politician that was even bold enough to introduce a bill. Um, you know, we made every argument in the book. We talked about the environmental aspects. 
We talked about the nutritional aspects of the seed. We talked about uh, the, the jobs that could be created. We talked about helping farmers, which would save farmland. We made every argument in the book, and it fell on deaf ears because uh, as long as the federal government banned it, Pennsylvania would not even consider it. And, you know, I would talk to lawmakers all the time who would say, yeah, 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 I agree with you. And they would nod their heads and they'd agree and they're, you know, they'd be all into it. And then their response was, if a bill's ever introduced and it comes up for a vote, you can count that I'll vote yes. But they didn't have the guts to actually introduce a bill. So finally, in, uh, you know, what became the winning argument was the 2014 Farm Bill when it contained Section 7606 that allows states that if their states have passed laws to uh, go ahead and grow it. So that was the winning argument. Out of everything that we said for 20 years, saying the federal government has now allows it, and now we have to align state law with federal law, that was the winning argument. And finally, I talked to Senator Mike Fulmer, who was very instrumental in passing our medical cannabis legislation, and he said, you know what, I'm all for it. He said, let me finish this medical cannabis uh, bill, and then I will devote all my energy to helping pass the hemp bill. Well, we based so then, we went to Senator Judy Schwank, who was the minority chair of the Agricultural uh, Pennsylvania Agricultural and Rural Affairs Committee, who happens to be my state senator, and my partner Erica and I, Erica McBride, we went to Judy Swank, and we wanted to see if she would, A, support the bill, or B, sign up as a co-sponsor of the bill. And Judy told us, she said, you know what, Any co- anybody can put their name down as a co-sponsor. If I'm going to put my name on a bill, I want to be the prime sponsor. So we said, sure, that's fine with us. And with her position in the Agricultural and Rural Affairs Committee as the minority chairman, we knew that she would be a perfect spokesperson, and she was. And she became the prime sponsor of House Bill, I mean, uh, Senate Bill 50. And uh, meanwhile, at the same time, a representative, uh, state representative, Russ Diamond, came to us and he said, I would like to introduce a companion bill in the House. And uh, he introduced that. That was HB 967. And uh, his bill is the one that ultimately passed. We had the Senate bill pass. It got out of and we had a big hearing where we had a hemp farmer from uh, Kentucky, a hemp farmer from Canada, and we had some very impressive speakers that really blew the committee's mind. It was a bicameral hearing, which are fairly unusual between both the Senate and the House Agricultural and Rural Affairs Committee. And when they heard this information, it just truly opened their eyes. So it eased out of uh, out of both committees. Uh, the Senate bill passed, and it got sent over to the House, and then there's some politics that are played because they keep tra- track and tally of how many House bills pass, how many Senate bills pass. There's, you know, competition between the Republicans and the Democrats, and, and uh, you know, the House decided they didn't want to pass the Senate bill, so they passed their own bill unanimously and sent it to the Senate, and uh, where we passed it in the Senate unanimously again. Then it got sent to the governor, and finally, on July 10th, um, we passed the bill, and it was signed into law by Governor Tom Wolf. So 
that put us in a good position. We we passed it between the House and the Senate. We passed it by unanimous vote. If you count the votes in both the House and the Senate, it was 233 to zero. Every single Republican, every single Democrat uh, voted yes in favor of it. And even our staunchest opponents of medical cannabis that fought really hard against that, they got on board with hemp. So everybody was, 233 to zero. So we thought that put us in a very good position. And uh, it was then up to the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture to come up with the rules and regulations and guidelines of how they would implement the new hemp program, which they did. And finally, uh, we got it a couple months ago, and we were gravely disappointed. Now, the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture, we know and we work with them all the time, and they're made up of super individuals who are very excited about the potential of hemp, but they're stuck with, you know, a budget situation where they don't really have funds to implement it. They can't hire new people. Uh, and, you know, then all of a sudden with the election of Donald Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions, they're a little bit concerned, and it seems like they're just sort of dipping their toes into the waters this year. They were going to approve uh, up to 30 uh, projects, um, but the regulations were so sort of severe, you would say, that only 16 were submitted and approved. So if everything goes right, there will be 16 projects of industrial hemp going into the ground. And just yesterday, uh, my partner Erica and I found out that through our organization that I sit on the board of, Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council, we have three projects that we will be supervising, uh, working with in conjunction with Lehigh University, and they're really exciting projects. The one is going to be up in um, Luzerne County on, at the Pinchot State Park, or, or uh, uh, State Forest, I think, and uh, it's going to be on land that was uh, form, formerly uh, a coal mine, so it'll be sort of a phytoremediation and soil reclamation project. We're going to see if it will pull zinc and arsenic and other toxins out of the ground, and this project may last for three years, and after the uh, – it'll last at least one, and uh, if it goes right, we'll probably plant hemp again there next year and the year after that, and then that land will be returned to native grasses. And uh, we so it's got a lot of – there's another person doing a project who is going to be making um, – uh, it's called light harvesting technology, which is going to be used to make an – Nano sheets uh, technology um, for conductors and so forth. And there's a lot of, you know, I just read through the list yesterday, so I'm still trying to learn about which of these other 16 projects, what they're about. I know there's a guy who's doing a project where he's going to be feeding his cow uh, the hemp seed and he's going to measure the effects between cows that were fed hemp and others that weren't and, uh, you know, it gauges nutritional project, uh, uh, you know, uh, nutritional measures, and and uh, so a lot of really good, exciting things. But the thing about it is, is we're not really we didn't pass a bill so that we can do these research trials. These research trials are important. 
were very thrilled and excited and almost to the point of ecstatic about these these uh, projects going in the ground, hemp seeds returning to Pennsylvania for the first time in 80 years. But we didn't pass a bill to get research. We passed a bill because we're trying to create an industry here in Pennsylvania. And we have everything going for us. We have a strong work ethic. We have uh, innovative and powerful agricultural industry. We have some of the best soil on earth. And we have a unique strategic geographic location that gives us close proximity to all major markets on the East Coast. So if uh, the Department of Agriculture can loosen up its criteria and, and open it up to commercial farming next year, we can draw major investments to Pennsylvania and actually create this industry that we've been talking about for 20 years. There's a $3,000 fee to uh, if you're awarded the permit to grow hemp. And then you're going to have to pay the guy to come around and check your uh, crop for THC levels. And when they do, you're going to have to pay 100 bucks an hour. So it could end up uh, costing a person five, six, or $7,000 for the privilege of growing hemp. They put a five-acre cap as a maximum number of acres of hemp that you can grow. And uh, we're concerned about that because you are allowed to grow, you are allowed to sell, what you grow, but if you're only allowed to grow five acres, you're never going to make up, uh, you know, the cost that you incurred for the seed and your permits and all that. So people are basically paying for the privilege of being in this first wave of uh, hemp farming in the state. And it's it's not a perfect situation that we're in, and we're trying to correct it. And the fault um, sort of lies with the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture, although I can see the predicament that they're in, and I understand why it's this way this year. But the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council is going to do everything that we can to work with them to make sure that this opens up a lot more next year, and we intend to bring back a billion-dollar industry to Pennsylvania. Well, Les, um, that, that is exciting. And since I'm from Pennsylvania, I'm going to be there in a, in a month or so and plan to come and visit you and some of the things that you're, you're doing there. But thank you again for all your information and input. And, um, is there anything else that you would like to tell, uh, our IHAMP Revolution audience about Pennsylvania and, uh, and its plans for the future? Well, there's a million things, and if I really got started, I'd be uh, talking for the next several hours. But this is so much excitement around hemp. We've had nothing but favorable media and public reception to hemp. And, uh, you know, I like to talk about the history. If you ever come to Pennsylvania, and I was talking about these hemp mills, that there was hundreds of hemp mills throughout the state, over 100 hemp mills in Lancaster County alone. But one of the neatest things about this is we have remnants of the old hemp mills these unique cone-shaped hemp millstones that uh, rolled over top of the hemp fiber in the old hemp mills. And I've been able to find about 30 of these hemp millstones in museums and private collections. If you ever get to the Landis Valley Farm Museum in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, they have four hemp stones for certain. They have a broken millstone, which we believe is a hemp millstone. So that's uh, four to five hemp millstones at the Landis Valley Museum. There's one at the Hans Herr House Museum, also in Lancaster County. There's one at the Mercer Museum in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. There's one at a shopping mall in um, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, not too far from Doylestown. And, uh, 
you know, we've been finding these millstones all over the place. So if you get a chance to come to Pennsylvania and you want to see tangible evidence of the old historical hemp industry, go to these museums and you can put your hand on this hemp millstone and see it. They're so fascinating. They're a few feet tall. They rolled on their side. That's where they're built cone shapes. So they roll evenly in a circle and they weigh about 1,600 pounds. And it's just so neat to see uh, these hemp millstones. But as we consider our past and our deep cultural roots with hemp, it only reminds us that if our ancestors and my own ancestors on my mom's side and my dad's side and everybody who intermarried within our two families for hundreds of years grew hemp in the fertile soil, and if our ancestors in a more um, in an intelligent and, uh, you know, advanced society, but under more primitive conditions, could raise this industry from the soil with horse and plow, then think of what we could do now. And all the whole purpose of understanding our past is to consider where we are in the present and where we can go in the future. And we can take this industry into the future and build it into the billion-dollar industry that we always dreamed and knew it could. And when we do that, we can create jobs, protect the environment, and, uh, you know, just give us a much better quality of life. And it's going to be a fantastic future that we are sailing ourselves into the future. So hoist up those hempen sails, cast the winds that will propel us into the future, and we're going to create a saner, more rational world that we always dreamed about for many decades. Well, Les, thank you very much for your enthusiasm and all your help for the past 20 years. So with that, I thank you, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. We'll see you. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host. Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.